0: All right, so if you want to grab your notes, and here's what we're going to do. So last week, or the last time uh, we were here, I'm sorry, uh, we basically uh, talked about the the role of children, and then we got about uh, halfway through uh, the role of parents. And so what I thought we would do, since we do have new people in here too, is uh, I'm going to briefly just run through the blanks so that you can fill out your notes, get through the children part, and then we'll do the parenting uh, uh uh, section today, and I think that would help both get our mind back into where we were because uh, it's been uh, two weeks off. We had Easter, then last week uh, I was out, and then we can, um, It'll. I just think that that would be helpful for all of us so this isn't like a half lesson that you jump into and you're like, what was the, the first part? So in your notes, if you have the notes, um, basically uh, we started out with a fundamental role of the parent and the child. And what God has um, uh, basically uh, ordained in his word, the role of the parents, Deuteronomy 6. Um, and then uh, the first two blanks there on page 1 is, You cannot be a faithful and godly parent if you are not being a faithful and godly spouse. Uh, and so this comes from us talking about marriage, about the role of the husband and the wife. And uh, you have to be submissive, obedient to the Lord, living faithful, faithfully in your marriage in order to be a faithful uh, and godly parent. But then you cannot be a faithful and godly spouse if you're not living faithfully to Christ. So again, you can't you can't be living in secret sin, hypocrisy, or unsubmission over here and then nail it as a husband, wife, or parent on the other side. Um, if you flip over to the next page, we talked about the role of children. The blank at the top of the page is the role of children, and I said there's there's three main things must teach your children. This comes from Ephesians 6, uh, 1 through 3. And number one is parents must teach their children submission. You want to be teaching your children to be submissive. Uh, First and foremost, because this is what the Lord calls children to do, to obey their parents, to love and honor their parents. That's what's pleasing to Him. Uh, But you're also teaching them principles that they are going to have to to not only learn in life, but one day they're going to face uh, the Word of God, they're going to face their own sinfulness, and you are preparing them, even as they are young, to know what it looks like and means to be submissive to both authority and to the Word of God. Uh, and so you need to be teaching your children submission. Number two, parents must teach their children obedience. Again, from Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So this is what God says is right for children. And it's our job as their guardians, uh, as being stewards of these children the Lord has given us, to teach them the principle of obedience, to learn how to listen to and submit underneath uh, in action. And so we teach our children to obey. And then thirdly, parents must teach their children reverence um, and, uh, or honor um, or, or fear. And uh, it's, it's our job to teach them to respect, to honor uh, in their submission. And I told you that this is what we teach the children on Wednesday night. If you bring your children to Adventure Club, we, and I'm, we're going to start doing this in Sunday schools too, but we teach them to soar, so submission, obedience, and reverence. And, uh, and this, is, this is what we're training the children to know. And again, fully knowing they're just children, but fully knowing that they are listening, uh, Lord willing, they're hearing the same things at home uh, and showing them this is what the Word of God says. So every week we put Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 up there. We say, This is what the Lord has called you to do. You are children, and children are called to be submissive, obedient, and reverent. For this is right in the sight of the Lord, and so you at the same, as parents, should be striving to just comp- always reiterate this at home, uh, be living examples of submission, obedience, and, and honor in your in your own walk with the Lord, and the way that you submit to the Lord and the way that you submit to authority and the way that you in your life husbands for your wife, and the wife submits to the husband, so they should see a visible a visible, <laughs> visible example of that in the home, and then it should be coming out of your lips all the time, pointing them back to the word so they see it, they hear it. Uh, and uh, that's that's what we should be teaching our children. And that's the role of the child in the home. So that's what we talked about last time. And then, oh, in the next page, actually, uh, there's two more blanks here. The stewardship of parents on the next page. The stewardship of parents. We talked about parents are stewards of God's precious children. They were they were uh, created by Him. He's the one that weaves them together in the womb. He's the one that ordained their days before the foundation of the world. He is the one uh, that that, um, that makes these children, and He gives them to us, uh, and we are stewards of His children. And we talked about some Old Testament places that talk about even though the Israelite children were their children, He calls them His children, and He's you know when they are mistreating, not teaching, and or slaughtering. Their children, they are at the same time doing that to his children. And we have to remember that as parents. They first and foremost belong to him. And we must make sure that we are faithful to both tell them about him, uh, speak his truth to them, guide them to him, uh, and help them to know how to submit to him, obey him, follow him. All that playing out, fully knowing that we can't save a single soul, we can't sanctify anyone, but but that's our calling and our role as parents. And then the second thing, at the very bottom, the goal of parents. And we said the goal of parents is faithfulness. The next blank is faithfulness. Our goal, the goal of every parent is to honor Christ, to be faithful to God for His glory and for His name. Many times we have the wrong goal, and because we have the wrong goal, take the wrong path to get to the wrong goal, you know? I've heard many parents, and I, I felt, I, I remember feeling this as a young, a younger parent uh, with my children. Uh, that, you know, they would, they would try spanking, but it didn't work, you know what I mean? And it's like, but but what what did you, th- like, you know, just the idea of it not working. Now, when the whole principle is be faithful to can you, can you do in it, submitting to the Lord and what he says... Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to accomplish what you think it should accomplish. It's going to be your submission and obedience to him that will accomplish exactly what he meant for it to accomplish. You know? and, so, and, and you can play that out with, with pretty much anything. A lot of times we, we try something the Lord says, it didn't work for us, and then we do our own path. Uh, you can, I mean, I've, I've heard people talk about that when it's fighting sin, you know. Well, I tried to give this to the Lord, it didn't work, so I'm just going to keep practicing. It's like, that doesn't make sense, you know. Um, but again, that's how the depraved mind works. That's how sinfulness tricks us uh, and deceives us. Uh, it basically is what uh, God said, to, or I'm sorry, Satan said to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? God told him, do not eat from the tree or, or you will die. Satan, The first thing Satan says, did God really say that? Did God, I mean, that, and that's what we do, Right. Did God, is that, is that exactly what he said? I mean, you think that's what he meant? And then we take the next step. Listen, God's trying to withhold something good from you. And, and the reason he said that is he's trying to keep you from something that he, he's, he's basically trying to keep you from something that would be good for you or to make you equal with him or whatever it is. And this is, this is how temptation works with us. And, and we fall into those traps as parents. Did the Bible really say that? I mean, is this is what we're called to do as parents? Well, listen, I tried that and it didn't work. I think think there's a better path. There's a better way. And there's things out there. If I I take my way or the psychological way or whatever way that methods, that the culture tells us these are the ways to do it, it, it'll work out fine. But like I said, one day we have to stand before Christ and we have to give an account to him whether or not we listened to what he said, trusted what he says, and practiced what he said. Fully know we're going to sin all the way through it. You're going to fall down. You're going to have to get back up. You're going to have to keep moving forward. We're not going to be perfect parents, but we have to be faithful parents. We have to know what the Bible says about parenting, and we have to submit to it and, uh, and, and trust him. So that's real quick, mostly what we talked about last week, and then we jumped into The actual role of parents, which is the next page, the role of parents. And that's where we're going to pick up today because I think that would be um, a cohesive lesson. It would help us finish because we were rushing through the very end there and didn't even make it to the very end. Um, And uh, I think this would be helpful. So, like I said, if you're new, really this is just coming out of a study of Ephesians. Most of these things from uh, the very first lesson all the way to now. Uh, have just been, have, have come out of Ephesians, but we're bringing in other biblical passages and places that, that talk about these different topics. And so this is coming from Ephesians 6 4, which is our main verse that we're looking at today. Um, and uh, But you're going to see, we're going to pull in other things uh, to help supplement this and explain uh, in, a, in a, a fuller context what Scripture says about the role of parents. And the first thing, number one, is parents must pursue holiness. They must pursue holiness. This is the positive side of the negative command in Ephesians 6.4. In Ephesians 6.4, it says right there in your notes, <clears throat> Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then in Colossians 3.21, it actually only has uh, the negative command. It says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they will not, be, so they will not lose heart. So in Ephesians, you have a negative command and a positive command, kind of back-to-back. Here's what you do do not do, and, and here's what you do. Um, the negative command is to both parents. Uh, however, the head of the family is the father, and the imperative charge begins with the father and belongs to him. When men abdicate their role, everyone suffers, and the father's example is the primary influence in the home, and the mother should submit to his lead. In other words... You know, you can't be like, well, she's around them all day, and, and they're the, she's the... I mean, mothers have a great influence, and we talked about that. We talked about the mother's role in the home. We talked about the, the book that I told you guys about of all these godly men who just talked so honorably about their mom and her influence in their life because she was around them more than the dad because the dad was out working. All that being said, it is the father's role to lead in these things in the home, and we got to make sure, both of us, mother and father, but especially the father, that we do not... <laughs> exasperate, or provoke our children. Um, Example, the next quote there by uh, William Farley in his uh, book, Gospel Power Power Parenting. He says, Example is the first principle of parenting. And this should not surprise us. Parenting is about leadership. And example is the first principle of biblical leadership. When parents practice what they teach, God gives them moral authority in their children's eyes. Um, All teaching in the Bible starts with example. Example. We can't be teaching our children truths from God's Word, and then they see with their own eyes a lack of submission in the very people that are the ones pointing them to Christ. that That's the, the, the fastest way to exasperate or to provoke your children to anger, is to tell them to obey the Lord, and then them watch mom and dad do the exact opposite in the way they treat others, in the way they treat one another, or you know, in the way they work, and the way they speak. And again, fully knowing you're going to sin, But, again, we talked about this last week, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Even when we sin, we have to provide them the example of confession, repentance, humility, brokenness, and then... Do what is right after that. So, again, I mean, if if you tell your children they cannot be angry with one another, they can't fight one, they need to love one another, and then you get angry, you must be the first to admit that my anger is just as sinful as the anger that we talk about with you. That's not okay for me. Will you please forgive me? Anger is never pleasing to the Lord. And then do what is right because they need to see what repentance looks like. So the two words here that he uses in Ephesians and in Colossians, do not provoke, do not exasperate. They mean relatively the same thing. Uh, To provoke means to cause them to be angry, um, to exasperate them, agitate, annoy. Um, And then exasperate means uh, irritate, stir up, uh, cause them to resent you. Now, this is a principle, I think this is good to remember. Because again, you know, you think about love, right? Love uh, is not easily provoked and love does not provoke, you know? So you got, love doesn't provoke others, but then at the same time, love is patient with others and bears with others when they sin against you. But, When you look biblically, God is provoked. And and, and what provokes God is sin. And I think that's good. When you think about what, what is going to be provoking to our children, what's going to exasperate them, it's going to be our sin. It's your sin. It's my sin. It's our spouse's sin that's going to be the thing that provokes. Now, again, our children... Can, on their, in their own sinfulness, be, whether it's through you know, having a rebellious heart or their selfishness and their pride, be provoked even though we're not sinning against them. But we're not talking about that right now. Right now we're talking about us who are sitting in this room and we ourselves, in our sinfulness, can provoke. And so I think that's what we're examining ourselves for. When we talk about parents pursuing holiness... We're striving to put away things that are unlike Christ and to strive to be like Christ so that we don't unnecessarily provoke. If you're striving in <laughs> holiness, you're parenting your child well, and they just don't like you, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. That's a different battle. Um, but what we're talking about here is when we, we provoke them because of habits and because of ongoing patterns. Sin causes provocation. There in your notes. Ongoing patterns... Of selfishness, anger, anxiety, or pride manifest in the parent will provoke the child. And you know, and I know, that if you are honest and you examine your heart, we have these things in us. We're, we're all fighting through uh, um, uh, things in our life. An inconsistent or non existent pursuit of holiness and righteousness will provoke the child. Again, so telling them one thing, doing the opposite, or telling them one thing, and just you don't live that thing, that will provoke a child. Forgetting, neglecting, or rejecting the commands of God, complaining towards God, rebelling against God, will provoke, provoke both the Lord and your family. And I really, I mean, just this is a whole study in and of itself, but if you look Old Testament, uh, Israel provoked God in the desert, and God does not sin. So again, a holy, perfectly loving, and, and, and perfectly patient God is still provoked by sin. Now, him being provoked and us being provoked are very different things. Just like God can be angry and never sin, God can judge and hate things and be perfectly holy. And we we don't have that capacity uh, to do that like God does. Um, In the same way, God can be in his holiness provoked by sin. But the thing is, you can see here how sin does provoke. And we don't want to be on the side that is doing the provoking. Um, And again, Psalm 106, they provoked him to anger with their deeds. Hebrews 3, talking about the whole history of Israel, that they provoked God um, with hardened hearts complaining uh, in the desert. So the principle there at play with us is parents cannot entertain sin in their lives that will cause his children, God's children, to be provoked and will ultimately bring reproach to his name and make his word seem burdensome burdensome or insufficient causing his character to be maligned, making his children rebel against him, and making the sins of the world seem safe or appealing, all because we profess to be led by him. We took his name saying that we are Christians, but we lived sinful, duplicitous, hypocritical lives. It's a very, very, very important thing to know as parents. Yes, you will sin. Yes, you will make mistakes. But we own those things, we talk about them in our families, we're, we're, we, we, we repent when we do sin, we get back up and we provide an example of what it looks like for a, a man or a woman to sin and repent and to follow God. Does that make sense? But don't live in some sort of like bulletproof, like I got to make it look like I'm you know above reproach in the sense of I don't sin. To be above reproach is to do the right thing when you do sin. And that's what, I mean, this is something we tell our kids all the time at home. We're trying to teach them to sin like Christians because we're all going to sin. And I think I've said this in here, right? That unbelievers deny their sin. They're like, I don't think that is sin. I disagree with that assessment. It's not sin. This is just the way I am. Hypocrites hide their sin. They do it just the same, but they pretend to be holy. They pretend to be above that. They pretend like it didn't happen. Because they want to make sure people look at them and judge them as sinless. And Christians, they fight their sin. You need to teach your children how to fight sin. And part of fighting sin is confessing sin. Part of fighting sin is putting away sin and, and practicing holiness. Part of fighting sin is repenting of sin and, and, and reconciling when you sin against others. Does that make sense? That's the fight. That's what Christians do. And so we want to teach our children to sin like Christians. Not that sin's Okay. Sin's always evil. Sin's always missing the mark. It's always against the Lord. But it will happen, and when it does, what do they do? And what do you do? Does that make sense? That's part of holiness, and that's part of not provoking your children. So for the sake of His name and the sake of our children, we must exemplify godly, holy, pure character in our homes at all times. And like I said, that doesn't mean making it look like you never sinned. That means living in honesty before the lord striving for holiness and providing an example for our children when we fall short and we will we must repent we must be humble or we must humble ourselves before our children so they witness our submission and allegiance to christ even our weakness and frailty i'm not talking here that you're going to your child and you're admitting all the depths of your heart and everything that's wrong with you that's not what we're talking about we're talking about when when the, the, the children are going to pick up on things they see your behavior they hear your words they watch the inconsistencies in your habits or your life. And those are the things that you, you've you got to explain to them why those things exist. Because daddy is a sinner, mommy is a sinner, we're fighting sin, we want to show you how to do that, follow us as we follow Christ. Does that make sense? That's what we're talking about here. Um, how can we instruct our children to take faithful steps towards Christ if we ourselves are not faithfully walking ahead of them? And again, uh, I don't know if I put it in here, uh, but you know Ephesians five. Th- these are the Ephesians five one through two, is is the, the the imperative command that that basically propels all of this, or is the foundation of this that we must imitate God and love like Christ. We must be holy like He is holy, like First Peter said. But we have to be able to say to our children, like Paul told Timothy, uh, to f- imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And again, that doesn't mean that you never sin. It means that you are following him. God never provokes his children to sin. That's always Satan's scheming. Um, and again, here's some verses that remind us, you know, uh, that we don't even want to give Satan an opportunity within our home. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. The last thing you want to do is have unresolved conflict, either in, between the, the two spouses or between the, uh, one of the parents and the child, that you just give Satan an opportunity. For the child to then process that with their little childlike thinking and go hypocrite or go that doesn't make sense. You have got to explain things and you got to talk. You got to reconcile and you've got to guide your children through that. Um, Matthew 19 and Matthew 18 again, just talking about Christ's love for his children. Um, and uh, and you you know if you're the one that's provoking one of his little children or causing them to stumble in Matthew 18, it'd be better for you to die than to do that. The last thing you want to do is being an example of hypocrisy or inconsistency so that they don't believe truth because they watched in the home hypocritical parents. Does that make sense? So that would be an easy way for us to cause our children to stumble, uh, and we don't want to be that example. Um, I told you in that uh, book back there, uh, actually, uh, the habits that provoke or exasperate children. Here's just four, I think, big ones that are very easy for us to do. And, uh, and happen very often in the home. Uh, but habit number one is hypocrisy in the home. Telling them to trust the Lord, submit to him, obey his word, but then you yourself not submitting to that standard. Uh, when you do sin and fall short, not repenting in front of your children, not confessing your ch- sin in front of them, or reconciling with your children, uh, or humbly walking in obedience in front of your children. So hypocrisy is the, I feel like, number one easiest way for us to provoke and exasperate our children to not trust what the Lord says because we're not living uh, uh, trustworthy examples in front of them. Number two is overprotection, trying to control every circumstance in order to satisfy our fearful lack of trust in God. You know, this can come because we want our children to go to heaven, and so we're trying to protect them from this and protect them from that. You have a role to protect them. You have a role to guide them. You must make sure that they're not just being inundated by the culture of the world and the evil that's out there. And at the same time, you also at the same time are teaching them to figure out how to live in that world because they will, you know? And so when they're real young, yes, I mean, you have full control. But as they get older and older and older, we have to teach them to live in a broken, sinful world that says that all that we believe is evil and, and, uh, and, and, and untrue. And we have to train them and teach them to grow and to develop in their ability to discern, in their ability to understand, in their ability to look at the world and see the world through the lens of Scripture. And again, fully knowing, you can't save them, but you keep teaching them, you know, these things. When things don't match up, you show them. This is exactly what the Lord said. When people fall away from the faith and that shakes their faith, you say, no, but this is what the Lord said. The way is small and the path is, or the gate is narrow. The path is wide that leads to destruction. Many are called, few are chosen. Teach them those things so that they understand how to process things that don't line up with what they thought would happen. Does that make sense? And so we gotta make sure that we don't overprotect. The other, th- other I don't know if it's the other side of the boat, it's just another thing, trap we can fall into, is overindulgence. Uh, meeting the desires of their mind or their flesh, feeding them with the allurements of the world, rather than training them to learn contentment, self control, selfless love, and submission. Again, I, I feel this all the time. I wanna give my kids everything they want. I want to, I mean, you know, they see something. I mean, that just gets on my list of like, I want to give them that. You know what I mean? And I just, I love to bless them. I love to give to them. And that's not a bad thing. But you definitely want to teach them not to desire and, and then to try to meet that desire. You want to teach them to self-control you want to teach them discipline. You want to teach them that they don't need all things, and you still bless them, you know? So you don't want to overindulge them. You don't want to teach them the world is evil. Do not love the world. And then you're just pumping them full of the world. You know, I mean, how are they going to process that? So, again, it's like we're not saying don't love your kids and don't bless them with things. We're just saying as you bless them, teach them so that you don't overindulge. So then they, you, you just make the world attractive and safe to them. And then, fourthly, pride. Uh, prideful privacy or isolation. And again, sometimes this can come for because of an overprotection kind of thing, or it comes because we're trying to hide hypocrisy in the home, or we're just not living in honesty. But this is internalizing or concealing sin within the home, keeping everything within the family. Usually, this comes under the disguise of, we, we don't want to burden others with our problems. And teaching your children to cut themselves off from the love and support, edification, care, prayers, and help of the body of Christ. Because you're afraid of being exposed. And again, this happens very often. The parents are doing something, living a certain way, and but they have to maintain a reputation within the church. And so they teach their children, hey, we deal with these things privately. It's a private matter. Now, I'm not saying everything needs to be a public matter. But what I'm saying is, it's not a... It's not a um, Is it's something where we hide? We teach our children to hide because we don't want accountability. We don't want exposure. But the problem with that, the generational effects of that, is we're teaching our children: when you sin, you deal with that on your own. You don't need the body of Christ. When Christ says the whole purpose of the body is for admonishment, edification, encouragement, so that we can all pursue Him. So, again, you don't go, I mean, I don't sit up here and tell you every sin that I've done this week and all that I'm struggling with. But I got men in this church that I do talk to because I want to be a godly man. I want to be a godly husband and father. You need somebody. Does that make sense? You can't, I mean, think about, like, your own battles with sin. Think about how many times you tried to fight that privately with no one knowing, not even your wife. And it worked out awesome. It doesn't, right? (laughs) You need the body just like I need the body of Christ. And the last thing we want to do in our own pride or our own fear of losing whatever, you know, reputation or respect or whatever, is teach our children, don't rely on the body of Christ whenever you sin. Does that make sense? So, again, those are four things that I think are very easy to do, happen very, very often. And you just got to examine, are we doing this in any way and run towards Christ? Uh, At the very end of your notes are the provocation list that I told you. They come from what the Bible says about parenting from John MacArthur, The Heart of Anger by Lou Priola, which is a wonderful book, and The Faithful Parent by Martha Peace and Stuart Scott. All three of those are maybe my top three uh, parenting book recommendations, but they're very good. All right, number two. So, number one, parents must pursue holiness. we got to pursue holiness. Number two, parents must practice discipline. And again, Ephesians 6, uh, 1 through 3 says, I'm sorry, uh, 6, 4 says, uh, Fathers, do not uh, provoke your children anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, number two, parents must practice discipline. The positive command here, negative is do not provoke. Positive command is to bring them up which means to train, to nourish, to rear, to raise up. It means to cherish them, to provide for them, to shepherd them towards maturity. And it gives us two things in the, in the bringing them up category, discipline and instruction. Uh, parents must bring up their children as Christ brings up the church. It's the, the same term. I uh, use Ephesians 529, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. So in the same way that Christ brings us up and nourishes and cherishes and raises us up, he sanctifies us, making us more and more like him until we are brought together with him. We as parents need to uh, uh, bring up our children to nourish and cherish them. Ephesians four eleven through 13, actually Ephesians 4 as a whole, gives us... Uh, uh, a, a, a kind of a uh, what i 'm trying to say it shows you how the church functions and, uh, and and you can see in Ephesians four what it looks like for Christ to bring up the church uh, basically he he uh, supplies truth through apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And here's what he does. He, he uses his truth through the preaching of his word for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain a unity of faith of the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, a measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So you could think about that in your parenting. Apply that. Teach them truth. Bring his word to bear on your family. Do that both by example and by teaching. So you build them up. So they understand what true faith looks like. So they understand who Jesus Christ is. So you teach them maturity and discipline uh, so that they measure up to the fullness of Christ. Again, I know I've said it many times because it's easy to go, I can't save my kid. We're not saying that. We're saying you're bringing them up, nourishing them, cherishing them, pointing them towards Christ, The Lord will do the work of the heart, but you should be teaching them how to repent, how to believe, how to follow Him, how to obey, how to submit. That's part of faithful parenting. Let the Lord deal with the transformation of the soul. You be faithful to do what He's called us to do. And He has called us to bring them up. Um, Ephesians 4 tells parents, the exact means by which we are to bring up our children, we're to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, Let's look at what those words mean. It helps us to understand the guts of bringing them up. To discipline means to provide instruction, to provide correction, train. Oh, sorry, that's a blank. Discipline means to provide instruction, correction, training uh, with the uh, intent of forming proper habits and behavior so that we are aligned with what is Right? Now, we're not talking about behavior modification. We're not talking about working on the outside and you're letting the inside, the heart, you know, go straight. We're talking about uh, providing them with correction and training in the heart level so that you're teaching them what it looks like uh, to follow him and to build uh, habits that are what Christians do. It's the same word used to describe training in righteousness in 2 Timothy uh, 3 uh, and the discipline of the Lord in Hebrews 12, which, again, is very, very important. Um, the, the, the Lord disciplines us in the moment. It doesn't, uh, uh, it hurts, basically. It's not what we want, but it provides the, the fruit of righteousness as He disciplines us. And so it's the same thing with our children. The Lord instructs us with truth from His own lips through His word. He disciplines us through endurance, persiv- uh, perseverance, conviction, suffering, trials, testing, distress, loss, pain, because He loves us and will not forsake us. And he's always pulling things out of us that would cause us to be separated from him. He's always instilling in us and, 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 can, and, and sanctifying us in things that are like him. And we're called to do the same thing with our children. When you see them moving off the path, heading down things that could be detrimental to their faith, dangerous to their life, you're pulling them back in. And you're teaching them where this path goes, what it looks like to follow Christ. And that's what we're doing. We do that through pain through, uh, through things like spanking or through loss and through hardship, and we also do that through instruction. And so, again, this is our role as parents. First uh, Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, there's no two in front of there. It says, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So God's Word has everything we need as Christians to be trained in righteousness, so it has everything you need as a parent to train your children in righteousness. Bring them back to the Word. Help them to understand the Word. When they're going away from things that are, that are of Christ or like God or what He says, pull them back in, show them what the Word says, and keep them heading towards Him. In Hebrews 12, again, uh, He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son he receives. And this is important. The Bible always connects discipline with love. The world connects discipline with hatred. The Bible says a lack of discipline is hatred, and that discipline is love. We have to renew our mind to trust what he says. To discipline our children is an act of love. Uh, especially in the family relationship and in our relationship with Christ. In fact, God equates a lack of discipline with hatred or illegitimacy in these verses. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who withholds his rod hates his son. Now you can say, well, I didn't spank my children when they were little and I loved them, but it's not your opinion. You got to stand before God and give an account why you didn't trust these words and how you thought your love was better than his love. Does that make sense? When he says it is love to to use the rod to discipline your children, and you think that's a lack of love, you actually have a problem with God at that point. Not spanking. Spanking is not your enemy. It's God who is the one that you're standing against because you disagree with his assessment of of how to raise children. Uh, It says, "...but he who loves him disciplines him diligently." Uh, Hebrews 12:8 uh, says, "If you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children, not sons." So not disciplining your children, even though that is a method of parenting in the world, is not on the table for Christians. Because that's what God says he does to his enemies. Those who, are not illi- or those who are illegitimate sons, false believers, those are the ones that do not receive the discipline of the Lord. He's given them over to their flesh and their desires. And again, that's Proverbs, right? If you allow a child to train himself up in whatever he thinks is right, he will not depart from that. And that's the last thing you want to do is give a child, let the child continue to live according to their desires. Because you are training them to always buck against authority, submission, and scripture. And you're, 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 heading, you're, you're leading them away from God. Does that make sense? And so we discipline our children. Again, discipline is not always spanking. I'm just saying when they're little, it has a lot to do with that. Discipline is what causes our endurance. Discipline is what produces perseverance. Discipline cultivates progressive sanctification. Discipline assures our final culmination in Christ. So we cannot complete the race without discipline. And parents are called to discipline their children so they grow up to fear, love, know, and obey Christ. Hebrews 12, 7, again, going back to the Hebrews 12 stuff, it says, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom the father does not discipline? And then Hebrews 12, 10 through 11, it says, he disciplines us for our benefit so that we may share his holiness. That's, that's what's behind the discipline, He wants you to share in His holiness and His glory eternally with Him. And He knows that all of us, all of us would go astray without His disciplining. And so He makes sure, remember John 10. Christ loses no sheep. No one can snatch the sheep out of the son's hand or the father's hands. Uh, All those he loves, nothing can separate us from his love. He will discipline us because he will make sure we persevere to the end and we are with him and we are made holy like him because he loves us. And think about that when you discipline your children. You love them and you don't want anything to separate them from the love of Christ and you're going to train them and guide them and bring them up so they trust him, they know him, they believe in him. And, and you give them over to him for the salvation of their souls. But our job is to faithfully train them. So um, we're commanded by the Lord to do that. And here's some just uh, six little bullet points to remember what discipline must look like. First thing, our discipline needs to be consistent. Um, we need to have clarity in what we're teaching them. And that's the hardest thing, too. Well, again, I can go down a, a, a side road here. But if, you're, you know, if, you just, if you keep telling them things and they're vague or they don't understand what they mean, it's going to be hard for them to to know how to, to follow your instruction. It needs to be precise. It needs to have purpose. And the main goal in mind with your consistent discipline is the heart of the child. You don't care what other people think about your family. You don't care if other people think you're a good parent. Again, then you're going to get back into one of those uh, provoking sins of, of either hiding or being a hypocrite. I could care less if you guys think I'm a good parent. I want my children to know the Lord. Does that make sense? And so there are going to be some people that look at your parenting and go, I want to be just like them. And other people are going to be like, no, I don't want to do it that way. That's fine. Who cares? Who cares what other people think? You make sure you're being faithful to the Lord. Your discipline must always be in love. The Father always disciplines us in love. This is a hard one for us. Because many times we get provoked because of our child's misbehavior and that we want to discipline in anger. It doesn't work like that. All discipline must be done in patience and in love. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, it doesn't mean it's not hard, but it has to be done in love because that's how the Father disciplines us. It must be biblical. When we discipline, we should also be instructing, teaching them what the Lord says. How did they offend God? It's not so, I mean, they need to understand how they disobeyed you. But the reason that's a problem is because God says children obey your parents. This is right, right? So let them see that. Not only did you sin against me, I mean, and we can reconcile that, make that right real easy, real quick. But, but you got a responsibility to, to ask the Lord to forgive you. And so teach them that. Teach them uh, to, to know how to confess their sins. Discipline must be painful. They're, you're going you're gonna to have moments of stubbornness that you have to conquer, you 're going to have battles that you must win if you give in in the middle of the battle, then you have taught them that stubbornness overrides the the, the, the command to obey or whatever it is you 've got to win those battles not everything 's a battle, and you don 't make everything a battle, but when you get into the fight you 've got to win. Does that make sense as the parent in love in inconsistency but, uh, and it has to be painful. they have to see the consequence. Of their sin. Uh, it must be done with affection. I told you, you know, in our family, this is what we always did. Like after, after we, you know, the, whatever the, 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 discipline or the correction was, we held them, you know, because if it was spanking, they're crying and you hold them and you show them, I love them. We, we held each other until they stopped crying. And then, and then we started with the instruction and the talking and, and all of that. And, uh, and those become wonderful moments in your family. Um, and, and even as, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I know a lot of you guys are much more experienced than me, but I'm beginning the teenage years, you know, and I got a 13 year old and 11 an year old. And this is a new kind of discipline and instruction, but it's still the same. It's, 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 it's the same as it was when they were two, but different. And there's a lot more instruction and a lot more teaching where things are going and stuff like that. But but there's still painful times. And uh, so you you make sure that you're they see your affection and love in the process. Does that make sense? Um, And then it's got to be gospel-centered. Every time is an opportunity to share Christ with them. And uh, even when they're two, they get it. Tell them, this is why Jesus died. He died for this. What just happened, he died for that. And he loves you. Always make it about the gospel and bring the gospel back into it. Discipline must be immediate, decisive, age-appropriate. It must cause... Uh, sorrow and be painful so that your child sees the effects or result of sin. It must be delivered with love, patience, compassion, sympathy, meekness, instruction, and fear. And it must be repeated until you win the battle. Because it's a battle for their heart and for their soul. And then I got a few of these uh, Proverbs here. Uh, Proverbs twenty-three, thirteen through 14. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die you shall strike him with a rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. That's what you're thinking. When we're disciplining, we're, we're thinking about the end game. We talked about that at the very beginning of this. I know we skipped over it today. But we parent with the judgment of Christ in mind. Does that make sense? you got to think end game, even in the moments. And so you are striving to rescue your child from hell, and you're striving to, them to, the point, striving to point them to the, ver- the only one that can, that can save their soul. Proverbs 29.15, the rod and and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way way will bring shame to his mother. And then Proverbs 22.15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove remove it far from him. All right, the last one, parents must proclaim truth. So we are to bring them up, uh, to cherish, nourish, raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So number three is parents must proclaim truth. It's the responsibility of the parent to, train, or to teach their children truth about the Lord. We have to help them to develop a worldview that coincides with the revealed truth of His Word. So they're able to discern good from evil. They're able to discern truth from lies. And they're able to know the ways of righteousness, the ways of holiness, and the way of truth. Uh, the parents are responsible to teach their children, to train them to fear the Lord and to keep His commands. Again, this is, this is what constantly needs to be on our lips. I think I put it in the back. Deuteronomy 6 talks about this. Whether you're lying down, rising up, going out, coming in, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, you're, you're talking about the Lord. You're helping them to see Him. In, whether it's evils of the world, you're helping them to see why these evil things happen. Whether it's creation and butterflies and the moons and the stars, you're helping them to see His hand and all that. You want to always be Teaching them, always proclaiming His truth, so they can see the world through the eyes of the of, of Scripture and through the, the way that the that the Lord has uh, taught us. Because the world does the exact opposite. You know, whether it's evolution or whether it's you know the, uh, um, the psychology and and I mean whatever it is. I mean just just the culture itself is always the very opposite. They're trying to see the world without God existing in it at all, and you're doing the very opposite. God has ordained all things, is in control of everything, our government, your decision, all this stuff, and you're helping them to see what he is doing. Ephesians 4, 13 through 15, uh, this is actually really neat, actually, because the Bible, I think Shane just talked about it, was it Shane that, yeah, said uh, that, that the Bible calls us to believe like children, we're to be like children in our belief, you know, our dependence on him, our trust in him, and all that. But the Bible also uses children as a negative example of what not to be like. And, and the negative example is you don't want to be naive like children, and that's what Ephesians four. Again, this comes on the tail end of what the church does. Part of the the the, the work of the church, the role of the church, and the role of 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 truth is to train your children, or to train us up, so that verse thirteen, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. By craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, that is Christ. Yes. Oh, a blank. I'm sorry. I wasn't looking. At, yeah, instruction. The the blank was instruction. <laughs> sorry, I didn't look over at the blanks. So yeah, we have to. This is the the teaching them to. Oh, did I, did I miss that whole thing? Yes, to provide admonition, warning, counsel. That's what it means, to instruct. To put into the mind, to teach, to guide, to nurture, to impart knowledge or truth and understanding. That's, that's kind of the, the big picture of this word. So parents must advise the children, given his children, about the dangers of sin, the necessity of submission and obedience to Christ. Parents must provide counsel, correction of the mind, training that produces maturity And their children. That's what we're striving for. So we're we're teaching, we're training, so they can discern and they grow in maturity. That's what Ephesians four talks about. It's truth that causes us not to be tossed here and there. You know. So if you understand what the word actually says, then when you read a book that doesn't coincide with what the word says, you're able to discern that's not right. Does that make sense? Or you hear a sermon and you're like, "That's funny. That's that's not what it says in Ephesians." You have to have that discernment because if not, think about it. Everyone that says they're a pastor, you'll just believe them. You know, every book that says it's Christian, you'll be like, okay, you know. And, and they come in with all kinds of, I mean, in fact, that all false preachers are found in pulpits, you know. And all the, the, the worst books are the ones that are Christian guidance that tell you. You know, when we do the book sale, like I put, I'll, I'll let history slide and, you know, uh, you know some of these children. I mean, there, there's books out in the book sale that have all kinds of worldviews and mindsets that we just do not agree with as a church. But when it comes to the theology stuff, man, I toss anything that's remotely, like, and then there's sometimes things slide through and people will be like, why is that in there? I'm like, I missed it or I didn't know about it, you know, but, but we're real strict when it comes to somebody telling you what God's word says. Um, I don't care if somebody, you know, writes a book on Hitler and maybe there's some good things about Hitler. It's like, whatever, you know, but like that, that, that's a bad book, but like, I'm not so concerned about that. But if somebody says, well, let me just give you an alternate view on eschatology here. I'm like, no, we don't need that, you know? Um, so anyway, uh, all that being said, I don't know why I just took that tangent. The point is, <laughs> is you train them to know the word so that they can discern when it's not true. Uh, it's like the counterfeit. You know, I, I always remember somebody telling me the way they train people to to, uh, uh, to recognize counterfeit money is to show them what they, they have to study the real thing. And then they can discern, because if you're trying to study all the counterfeits, I mean, they're, prob- they're, they're endless. They just continue to manufacture counterfeits. And it's the same thing with theology, you know? I mean, there, there's counterfeit religions, counterfeit truth Every All of it is counterfeit except for one, right? So you've got to know what does the one truth say so that you can smell out the things that are 99% true or you can see the things that are that are using truth to pull away from. Does that make sense? And it's the same thing in our parents. We got to teach our children understand Him, so they can discern on their own. They they don't they're not always going to be. I mean, you know, I don't call my dad when I read an article and go, "Hey, Dad, is that true?" You know, it's like at some point they have to they have to make their own decisions and live on their own. So you're trying to train them to know what is true, so that when they get there, they're like, eh, "It sound right," you know. Um, so anyway, this is all these verses are about transforming your mind, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. All this comes with submitting to the word of God and the Lord. Um, and I used to always tell my youth this: You want to be brainwashed. If you're a Christian, you want your mind and your thinking to always be transforming and renewed by His Word. You want to be. I want to think exactly like He thinks. I want to see the world exactly the way he describes the world. I want to speak like him. I want to imitate him. I want everything in my life to be a reflection of Christ. And that's going to take a lot of washing out the old and making me more like him. You know. So, again, within the context of the word of God and actual truth that comes from God's lips, and you being a Christian that says you follow him, you absolutely want to be brainwashed by his word daily and teaching your children to see that His Word is the standard of truth. And so we have to proclaim truth. So we must discipline and instruct our children in exactly what our Father disciplines and instructs us. Our discipline and instruction must be submissive to the Word of God. It must convey nothing more and nothing less than His whole divine instruction. And this will produce maturity in our children. And there's four kind of maturities that you're aiming for. Number one is mental maturity. They need, they need uh, discretion, instruction, and knowledge. You're forming how they think. You're forming how they discern and how they discriminate. They got to be able to, that, that, the, the culture has uh, totally taken this word and made it awful, but you must teach your children to discriminate. Between what is right, what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. There must be divisions, and they need to know that. All things that claim to be truth aren't truth, and all things that claim to be good aren't good. And they gotta be able to know what the Lord says. They gotta understand life and God. Number two is physical maturity physical maturity. You have to warn them of the allurements of this world um, and their determined end. You know, the, 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 the path of the adulteress leads straight to hell, and they need to know that. And if they go down that path, that's the path that they're going down. It leads to desolation and destruction. You have to teach them discipline. You have to, you can't ab- abide by your appetites. You can't go after all that your eye sees and desires or all that your heart longs for and wants. You have to teach them self-control, discipline, uh, diligence, honor, integrity, love. Teach them those things uh, so they live a, a life pleasing to him. Three, they need social maturity. They are naturally selfish, and they are naturally proud. And you must teach them, when interacting with others, to be humble, to be loving, to prefer others over themselves, to be kind, selfless, to serve others, to sacrifice their good for the good of others and for the love of other people. All of us look out for our own interests just fine, and all of us love ourselves without anyone giving us any instruction on that. What we need instruction on is how to prefer others to be Patient with others to bear up with others to serve others to sacrifice for others to lay down our life for others and you need to be teaching them that you know with my little girls like we they my my, my children tend to be shy and i know some of you guys have the other end of the spectrum and your t- children tend to be like they'll go up to anybody and there's no strangers in their life but for for my kids they're all very shy but we teach them that's fine if that's your personality but you can't be rude and if someone talks to you you got to make eye contact and talk back to them, you know. And so you're, 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 you're looking at the weaknesses and the strengths of your children and, and, and you're trying to cultivate those strengths so that they come under submission to the Lord. And then you're trying to help them to curtail those weaknesses so that they, but again, all of it is oriented towards love. And that's something we say in our house all the time. Everything we say comes back down to you love her or you love them or you love us more than yourself. And just keep bringing it back to that and helping them see that. Finally, fourth is spiritual maturity. Teach them to love the Lord, to listen to him, to submit to him, to trust them. Tell them of his kindness, his goodness, gentleness, mercy, grace, patience, everlasting love. This is what we're striving to do in our instruction. Our instruction is to teach them to be mature in Christ. So the principal precept for parents, and again, this is, you know, you need to know Ephesians 6, 4. You need to know Colossians 3, 21. You need to know Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 is God talking to the Israelites, but you couldn't get a more, I don't know, robust statement of, here's what you do with your children. Uh, he says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me, Moses, to teach you. Why is Moses teaching the Israelites God's commands and God's word? For this reason. So that you might do them. It's not just for head knowledge. It's not so you can win Bible trivia. We understand scripture so that we can do it. We want to obey the Lord in the land where you're going over to possess it. Why? Purpose statement. So that you, the one who's hearing this truth now... Your son, which is your responsibility to teach them your truth, and your grandson, so you should be training your children to teach their children God's word, might fear the Lord your God and to keep all of his statutes and commandments. That's it right there. We want to be teaching our children to teach their children to love and to fear the Lord and to obey his commandments. It's generational. The Bible talks about that too. What you do has generational effects. You understand that? If you do not train, discipline your children, and your children turn away from the Lord, well, guess what their children are going to do? And their children are going to do. And their children are going to do. And you're going to be responsible for that. Does that make sense? Now, again, fully knowing that the Lord is in control of all things, and fully knowing that each person is culpable for their own sinfulness, but our lack of faithfulness can have generational effects. And our faithfulness can have generational effects we got to make sure that we see, again, the end game. Because we can get down into the nitty-gritty. You're in the weeds. You're just being like, hey, you got to make an A on this test. But there's way bigger things at play in the parenting process. So as you're going, you got to get an A on this test. you got to be thinking, and their great-great-grandchildren need to know the Lord. And you've got to continue to train them so that they grow up and know the Lord and train. Does that make sense? So, again, it's easy to get down into the daily stuff and just either want to give up or even think we're doing a good job because we're seeing some uh, you know we're seeing some some fruit of what we want and desire in the moment, but we're not thinking of the big picture. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Now look at this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words, Moses says, which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And look at this you shall teach them, these words, diligently to your sons. So that's their role. And he says and you shall talk of them when they sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down when you rise up you shall bind them as a sign on your hand they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates In other words it's just a way of saying it should always be come out of your lips it's not just your family devotions it's everything Teaching them, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, it's coming out of your lips. The frontals on your forehead and binding them on your hand, it just means you're doing it. It's in the front of your mind. It, it's, it's happening in your actions. Again, it goes back to what we talked about. You are a living example of submission obedience to the Lord. You're helping them to think and see. You're thinking through things biblically, and you're helping to develop that in them. And you're always, always, always talking about them. And it's visible. They see it. They're memorizing Scripture. They know the Word. That's our role. Now think about this. This generation that heard these words, they they did not do a good job. Their children were the ones that came into the land, and they did not teach their children. One generation after their children, they fell away from the Lord, started worshiping idols. So again, it just shows you, even with an audible voice on Mount Sinai from God, we still, in our sinfulness, don't do a good job of this and disobey. So don't ever look at your parents and be like, well, I would never do that. That's probably what they said when they heard these words. we got to make sure that we are faithfully living uh, in submission to him. And then finally, let me end on this. The warning against letting children train themselves. Very often this proverb is quoted kind of backwards. Proverbs 22, six, and I think I pulled this from the Legacy Standard Bible because I thought it said it well. Proverbs 22, six says, Train up a child according to his way, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's not, a, it's not a positive proverb, if you want to say it that way. It's not train a child and he'll never, you know, you train a child in the Lord and he'll never depart from it. It's saying, if you let a child train himself up, then you're, you're basically teaching him submission to his desires and his will, and he will not depart from that when he gets older. Now, the, the positive of that, there's truth in that. You train a child up right and there, there, that is the highest, you know, if you want to say probability of him coming to the Lord. You need to train him that way. But again, think about maybe you or me, many of us, we were, we were not raised right. And Christ found us, pulled us out of, I mean, sometimes false world religions, sometimes out of rebellion and even, even from um, families that there was hypocrisy. I mean, so the Lord can say he finds all of his children. But don't bank on him being faithful and you be Unfaithful to what he's called you to be. Does that make sense? You be faithful as a professing Christian to do what the Lord has called you to do as a as a parent, and uh, and then and then his faithfulness he will find his children. But we need to make sure that we don't let our children train themselves up in their in their desires and in their natural lusts. Yeah, that's the proverb. And now, again, think of it as a wisdom principle. But basically, if you're pulling off hands-off hands off instructions, hands-off parenting, and you just you just, you just let them find their way and train themselves, yeah, then... I just looking at that first part of that verse very differently, which, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah, then that, and that's what it means. But train up a child in the way he should go. Isn't that what a lot of our Bible? are saying? Yeah. But this is, what it, this is what the Hebrew says. Yeah, that's what it really means in the Hebrew. Actually, if, if you look at the next line, it says, If you allow a child to determine his own path, develop his own way, develop his own thinking, when he's older, he will not depart from it. If you neglect training according to God's word, you're allowing your child to be directed by their own sinful desires and the culture, which is a satanic world system crafted to, to lead them astray. And it's a path governed by selfishness, pride, and it leads to hell. So the, it's, it's, a, it's a proverb. So it's a wisdom principle. And it's basically saying if it's the same thing as withhold the rod, I mean, or, you know, if you withhold the rod, you hate your child, or, you know, by giving the rod, you're saving them from Sheol, same principle, but basically saying, if you don't do the training, if you let him train himself, then he won't depart from that, you know, and so, again, it's just a call to parents to be faithful, but a lot of times, you know, we've, we've heard it said the, the very opposite way, but again, that's not a, That's not a bad principle. It's just not exactly what Proverbs 22 says. Uh, I threw this little chart in there. I can't remember where I got this from. But it basically taught, you know, when they're younger, it's, there's less instruction, more discipline. And as they get older, you're basically instructing more and disciplining less, you know. Uh, and that's kind of the thing there. And then if you look on the other pages, I just added into your notes the 25 ways that provoke children to anger from Lou Priola's book. Uh, Do Not Provoke Them to Anger by John MacArthur and Successful Christian Parenting. And then I thought this was a great article. I just kept throwing things in there. It's by Lance Quinn, The Ten Commandments of Parenting. And it says a lot of the same stuff, but there's some other things in here we just didn't have time to look at. But I would say read over that, too. There's just some great things there on parenting. And if you have time this week, there is some homework there at the very end. Go on a date with your spouse. Talk about these things. Talk about the roles of parents and children. Reflect on your marriage and your home. um, uh, You know, read the things that are in the book. Uh, there is a book in the back called The Christian Home that uh, basically is Paul Shirley's exposition of Ephesians and it just the parenting stuff or the, the the family stuff, and it's a great book, and if you have it, you can read that. But anyway, the homework is just for, for your benefit, your blessing, and uh, I hope that's helpful. So thank you, guys. Thank you, for everyone that's not normally with us for joining us, and I hope that was Uh, helpful. If you want notes from the other lessons, if you've missed any of them, they're in the back, um, and their blanks are all filled in. I was giving you the ones with the blanks, but then I was like, so the, the blanks are filled in for you, so...